Welcome to the Females on Fire podcast, where I hope that you'll gain both the tools you need to grow your business and the motivation you need to create your dream life. I'm Haley Luckadoo, motivational speaker, serial entrepreneur, huge lover of Dr. Pepper, and of course, the host who will be introducing you to the phenomenal women sharing their stories and expertise to inspire you, help you succeed, and set your soul on fire. All right, ladies, we are continuing to kick off 2020 in such a great way. I am so excited for this episode because I know that it is going to help you guys out so much. I wish I had had this episode in my life when I started my businesses. Today's guest is Amy Northard, and she is the accountant for creatives. She's a certified public accountant or CPA who specializes in working with creative small business owners to make taxes and bookkeeping less stressful. She has a huge passion for helping small business owners wade through all of those financial things that it takes to start and operate a business so that they can focus on their craft. And in addition to preparing tax returns and bookkeeping for clients all over the U.S., Amy enjoys teaching small businesses the financial basics through her online course, Be Your Own CFO. And today, Amy is talking all about taxes. Dun, dun, dun. I know that this is something we all cringe when we hear get talked about. Taxes are not necessarily fun, but let me tell you, Amy is making it so easy. I promise you her advice and her answers to these questions are going to have you feeling like you are so ready to take on your taxes this year. So get ready, listen in, pay attention because you are going to love Amy and this episode. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I am definitely excited. I know taxes are usually not a fun topic for everybody, but I'm just excited to get your advice so that it can be super easy for all of our listeners. Yeah, I think it's definitely something a lot of people avoid just because it feels scary. But then once you talk about it and kind of learn that it's not as scary, then, you know, you don't always have that like lingering fear of it. Exactly. And that is definitely what I want our listeners to avoid is that awful dreaded fear. But before we dive in to all of my questions for you, can you just tell everybody a little bit about you and how you got into this line of work? Sure. So, um, you know, way back into like high school days, um, my dad recommended, um, that I take accounting classes in high school and I, I was really wanting to take like the jewelry and photography classes, but he was like, no, I want you to take the accounting class. So I said, okay, whatever, I'll listen to you. And so I took the accounting class. Um, It turns out I had some really great teachers in accounting in high school, and they just made me fall in love with um, the structure of it and the small business side nature of it. Um, So I went on to take accounting in college. And, um, again, had a bunch of really great teachers there. Um, and I thought that I would want to go into auditing so that I could travel the world. Um, 
through like working and um, then I did my first internship and I did it in tax and turns out again, I really loved the um, structure and um, just the process of doing tax returns and bookkeeping. So I skipped that whole audit thing. Uh, I know there's a lot of people out there that love it, but it ended up working really well because one of my, one of my values is just, you know, having time to spend with family and friends and it allows me to, um, you know, not have to travel a bunch. So, um, I did that. I worked at a public accounting firm for a few years and got my CPA license. And then I kind of had like a quarter life crisis. I was like, um, okay, I've got this all done. I've got this stuff accomplished, but I'm not enjoying the day-to-day work in terms of like the clients I was working with. And honestly, some of the coworkers that, you know, you had to deal with office politics. So um, I started thinking like, what, what can I do to keep this CPA license and still use it because I worked my butt off for it, but then, um, you know, work with people that were really inspiring to me. So that's when I kind of had an aha moment after, um, doing several interviews and, you know, nothing just felt like a good fit. So, um, I decided that I would do take a part-time job completely unrelated to accounting that would pay for my health insurance. It was about 30 hours a week and it let me, um, it was kind of mindless work. So it let my brain kind of relax during the day. And then in the mornings and evenings, I was able to really focus on building the business, um, working with creatives, getting their taxes figured out. Um, and then a couple years, well, like a year and a half of that. And I just hadn't, didn't have enough hours in the day to do the 30 hour job and, um, run my business. So that was kind of my cue that I needed to move into my business full time. And, um, at that point I started, I had more time so I could do, um, some bookkeeping projects and that kind of thing. And it just kind of evolved from there. So that was about eight years ago. Um, in between that time and now, um, my husband joined me full time in the business, and then we just hired our third full time employee, which is really exciting. That's so awesome, and I love that it all just really kind of started with your dad saying, "I want you to take an accounting class." Like that's just yeah. <laughs> like dads are so smart; they just they are, and it's I. I give him like, I give him a lot of, you know, flack and I said, you know, dad forced me to do accounting and I joke with them. And then my mom comes in and reminds me like, oh yeah, it worked out pretty well for you, didn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like there's so many things that my dad never necessarily said I'd be a business owner, but there's just so many like little things that I think I've done in my business where my dad's just like, see, I told you (laughs) Uh (laughs) you're so much smarter than us. Yep. Uh, well, that's funny. I love, I, I just love that, you know, it's something you just really kept working at and it's something that not a lot of people are really into. A lot of people don't like math. They don't like accounting. They don't like taxes, but it's something that you kind of found a passion for and moved into. And I love that you just like started your own company with it and wanted to really dive into a specific group of people with serving creatives. I just, I think that's so great. 
Yeah, it's been so fun. And one of my favorite things related to this is just making it like a lot of times accounting is just so dry and boring. So we've tried to like make our blog posts more fun to read. And I really have fun personally, like using Instagram as my creative outlet. Um, and then just getting to follow my clients on Instagram and seeing what they're working on and all the cool things that they're doing. That's like, that is my favorite part, not necessarily completing a tax return. Cause that's kind of, kind of dry work, but getting to see like the people on the other side of those tax returns is really cool. I love that. And I think, I think when you're running a business like that, where you're really so invested in your clients and you're really there to serve people and not just, you know, make money or have great hours or whatever, mm-hmm. then that's when you're really running a great business and a business that's going to do really great work. So I love that you said that. Cause I love when I hear business owners talk about how much they love their clients and how much they're able to serve them and all of those things. Cause I think those really make for the greatest businesses. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, let's dive in because I have tons of questions for you. I could probably keep you here all day, but I Yay. won't. <laughs> <laughs> and I know a lot of our listeners are wondering these same questions. So let's just dive right in. So first of all, can you just kind of touch on the different ways that you could set up your business and how that makes a difference when you file your taxes? So I know there's like a sole proprietorship and an LLC, but How does that all matter when it comes time to file? Great question. So, um, yeah, like you said, there's the sole proprietor. There is a single member LLC, which just means it's one person. There's um, partnerships. There's LLC partnerships. So starting with the sole proprietor, that's just, you know, the day that you open your business, you don't have to register for anything. If you start bringing in money um, or spending money on your business, you are a sole proprietor. I think a lot of people, especially in like the freelance world, they're like, oh, I'm a freelancer. And they don't realize that that's truly actually like a sole proprietor. It's an actual business. It's not just a title that you give yourself. So freelancers, um, sole proprietors, they file a form called a Schedule C with their personal taxes, and then they pay the tax themselves as the individual. Um, Kind of the next level up is an LLC. So an LLC is um, something that you register for with your state. And um, so the state gives you that title. And then it is more of a legal benefit to you where it provides protection for the business and keep things separate from you and the business. From a tax perspective, if you are just a single person and you become an LLC, nothing changes at all. You still file that Schedule C form. Um, You're still taxed like a sole proprietor. The only difference really is that some states will have additional taxes, um, like franchise taxes and those sorts of things. So, for example, California will charge you a minimum of $800 a year um, if you become an LLC on top of regular taxes. So just something to keep in mind and look into if you're thinking about becoming an LLC. Different states have different rates. Um, so you'll want to keep that in mind. The next option would be kind of like the next level from that would be becoming an S corporation. So you'd start out as a sole proprietor, you become um, an LLC, and then you would become an LLC taxed as an S corporation. So that essentially entails you just filing a form with the IRS telling them 
hey, I'm a business that's an LLC and I want you to tax me as a corporation instead of a sole proprietor. So the um, S corporation is when things kind of change drastically. You have to file a completely separate tax return for the business and then you have to also pay yourself a reasonable salary. Um, but the where the benefit comes in and where uh, a lot of people hear like, oh, I have to become an S corporation right away because that's the best one for tax savings. It is a good option if you're making about $50,000 or more in profit for the business. Um, and the reason you want to make that much is because you, out of that profit, you have to pay yourself a reasonable payroll. So um, let's say you paid yourself $25,000 from that $50,000 in profit, that leaves you with $25,000 more to get the actual tax benefit from the S corporation. So we won't go too in depth with the numbers and all of that with the tax savings, but just keep that $50,000 kind of in your mind as a benchmark as to when you should start at least thinking about it. And then that's a good time to reach out to an accountant and really get into the nitty gritty details of the S corporation. I love that you touched on when to apply for those things. Cause I think that's the most common question, at least that I've mm -hmm. heard surrounding, you know, should I be an LLC? Should I be an S corp? What the heck is an S corp? So I, I love how easy you made it and that you broke down kind of a, like you said, a benchmark for when to apply for those different types of businesses. So yeah. I love that. Thank you. I just, I've seen a lot of people come to me who, um, have jumped like right into being an S corporation. And it's just, I think it stressed them out because they had to deal with the payroll aspect. And then, you know, once you have the additional expenses of an extra tax return and all of that, they didn't end up seeing any tax savings like the first couple of years. So, so yeah, just be wary of online advice from random strangers in Facebook groups. A lot of times they're good, but when it comes to like tax and legal stuff, you want to double check that stuff. <laughs> Definitely. I feel like everything you want to know is on the internet for free and everything you should never learn is also on the internet for free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, then that's why I love conversations like this. Cause I love just getting real advice from actual professionals who know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, so that kind of leads me into my next question. So how often as a business owner, do you file your taxes? So I know there's a lot of questions surrounding, well, is it just a once a year thing or am I supposed to do quarterly taxes? So what's kind of the difference there and what are you actually supposed to be doing? Um, so there's a couple different types of taxes. One is sales tax and one is income tax. And I think a lot of people get them confused when they hear the term quarterly taxes. So that's one thing I want to straighten up um, right away is that if you hear quarterly taxes, usually it's in reference to paying in towards your income taxes. Um, if you have a sales tax account, they might have you um, pay in on a monthly basis, on a quarterly basis, or an annual basis. So they usually tell you that when you get signed up for a sales tax account. Um, if you don't know how often you need to file that, um, you should just be able to log into your sales tax account and find that information. So that's on sales tax. Um, not everybody has that, but if you're um, in a state that 
requires sales tax on products or even a lot of services are now being taxed, look into that. And then when it comes to income taxes, so that's the thing that gets, that's due April 15th that everybody's really familiar with. Um, you'll typically, you'll file the annual return one time a year. So the, if you're an S corporation or a partnership, your return would be due March 15th. So that's a month before your personal taxes are due. Um, and then if you are filing your personal taxes, those are due April 15th. The quarterly taxes that you hear in reference to that um, is not actually filing your quarterly taxes. You're just really sending in a deposit towards your year-end taxes. So the IRS wants that money throughout the year, kind of like as if you were working for somebody and they were withholding it from your paycheck and sending it in for you. This is the alternative for small business owners. We have to be the ones holding that money back and sending it in on our own behalves. That makes total sense. I love how easy you make this sound. Because <laughs> if, you, if you Google that question, you get so many answers. It's ridiculous. And I know so many business owners are really confused. I know I was super confused about that part when I first started out mm -hmm. in my business because, you know, people just randomly start talking about quarterly taxes and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, am I supposed to be doing that? Yeah. And you have zero idea what it is that you're actually supposed to be doing. So I love how easy you made it. Well, thank you. Um, one of the things I forgot to mention is that I think a lot of people, if you've done quarterly taxes in the past, you're used to just like sending in a check with a payment voucher. But now most of the states and definitely the IRS have ways to pay them online. So um, the reason I like that is because it gives you a payment confirmation. So if you ever get a letter in the mail from the IRS or your state saying like, we didn't receive this payment, you have that confirmation instead of just hoping that they received your check in the mail. So check that out. I can give you, Haley, the IRS payment link if you want to put that um, in the show notes. But Absolutely. that has just made life a ton easier um, for me as a business owner, just submitting my own quarterly taxes. Yeah, definitely. I think anything that makes our lives easier is obviously just so much better. So yeah, I would love if you could give us that link. We'll put it in the show notes for everybody so that they can you know, check that out and look into it and just try to simplify some <laughs> of this whole process. Mm -hmm. So I know this, this could probably be a very long winded answer because there are so many things, but, um, maybe if you could just name like the most common ones you see people forget, but what are a few like deductions? Cause I know people get so confused on, well, you know, I have a home office. Is that a deduction? Is my gas in my car to go to a meeting, a deduction. So can you just talk about maybe a few of the deductions that business owners can take that you often see them forget to take? So maybe the ones that people don't think about as much, or they're a little less common. Um, yeah, I think that one of them would be like a cell phone. So, um, we don't use our cell phones 100% for business. The only way that you could prove to the IRS that you were doing that would be like if you actually had two cell phones, one for personal and one for business. And that's super rare. So um, the best thing to do for that is if you use it a lot for calling, so you're actually talking to people on your phone um, for business, then um, adding up all the minutes you talked on the phone, you know, look at your um, 
statement for like a couple months and just use that kind of as a guide. Like if you spent a hundred minutes out of 200 minutes total talking to people on the phone for business, that's your proof to the IRS that you can deduct 50% of your phone bill. Um, when it comes to data, it's basically impossible to figure it out. So um, the IRS is so behind on a lot of the tax laws, you know, making them more relevant and the phone is one of them. So I usually recommend for people just to um, be reasonable about the percentage that they deduct. Definitely don't do a hundred percent, you know, 50 to 75 is a little bit more reasonable. Um, but definitely include at least a portion of your cell phone expense if you're using your phone for business, which most of us are. And then the home office is another one, like you mentioned. Um, a lot of people I talk to, and they they lean more towards a little bit of an older generation, but they're kind of freaked out to report a home office um, because they have always heard like a home office is going to be a red flag for the IRS. They're going to come audit you. It's going to be a whole thing. And that's just not the case anymore because so many of us work from home. So if that was truly a red flag, we'd all be popping them up and they'd, they'd just spend so much time dealing with it. So it's no longer a red flag. What is a red flag would be like if you deducted half of your home or more and, and told the IRS that that was all being used regularly and exclusively for business. So those are the two key key tests. It has to be regularly used. So it can't just be somewhere you go like once a year in your home to use your laptop. And then it has to be exclusively used for business. So it can't be your kitchen table that your kids also eat dinner at or do their homework at. It can't be your couch where you watch TV in the evenings, um, but also work from your laptop. It needs to be a dedicated space. Um, it doesn't have to have a door on it but it needs to be a space that's not also used for other things. Um, as some of the home office deductions that you can deduct are internet that benefits your entire home. If you do repairs on your home, those sorts of things, that can a portion of that can be deducted. Um, anything you do directly to your home office space can be fully deducted. So like I'm work, I work out of a spare bedroom in our home and it's the ro entire room is for my home office. So if I wanted to paint the home office space or I wanted to redo the floor or buy furniture for this space, all of that would be 100% deductible um, for the business. But if I um, do some like a kitchen remodel or something like that that benefits the entire home, then only that small portion can be deducted. Same thing goes with like if you want to hire a housekeeper or you have to have pest control come out and get a squirrel out of your roof, which we've had happen. Um, those sorts of things, again, benefit the entire home. So you can deduct a small portion of those. And then when it comes to vehicles for your business, um, there's two methods to deducting it. And I think a lot of people end up skipping deducting their car expenses because it's just a lot of work. Um, so, you know, if you're at the beginning of a year and you, you know, it's a perfect time to really get a process in place, you know, download my LIQ on your phone, um, 
just put a process in place where you are tracking your miles, then um, that's the first key to method one for deducting your miles. So it's just the mileage rate, whatever it is for the year, times your business miles, and that's your deduction. Um, option two is a little bit more um, involved because you have to deduct your miles plus, or you have to count your miles plus you have to keep all of your car receipts. So every time you get gas, um, every time you get a tune-up, anytime you get a car wash, all of those car-related expenses you need to keep the receipts for. Um, then at the end of the year, you add those all up. And let's say you drove your car for you know half of the year, 50% of your miles were for business, the rest were personal trips, you would be able to deduct 50% of your car expenses. Sometimes, you know, one method is going to give you a bigger deduction than the other. And so you could calculate both and figure out which one you wanted to do. But, you know, for most people, just getting that mile, those miles tracked is hard enough. So if that sounds like something that, um, you know, you haven't done in the past, but want to, I already mentioned mile IQ, but there's tons of things out there like QuickBooks self-employed has their own version of a mile tracker. You just put that on your phone and make sure that your GPS is turned on. And then anytime it senses that you are moving over five miles an hour, it will automatically track that trip. So it's literally just like, um, kind of like Tinder for your miles. You'll swipe one way to tell it it's personal and swipe the other way to tell it that it's business. So it's pretty, it's pretty easy. It's just making sure that you're tracking everything. So every time you go to the post office to mail off Etsy orders, or every time you go to Hobby Lobby to get supplies, or even if you had to go to the grocery store to pick up some food for some clients that are going to come to your studio, you know, there's anything that's business related, that type of thing should be um, tracked. And it's so much harder to get to the end of the year and think through all of the different things that you did and then add up the miles. So um, definitely put that on your to-do list if you haven't started doing that for your business. And then the last one would be self-employed health insurance. Um, it's not, so for anyone that's not an S-corp, so sole proprietor, single member LLCs, um, it's not a business expense directly, but it is um, going to reduce your taxable income on the personal side of your taxes. So if you are, if you don't have health insurance available through a spouse or a parent, then, and you have gone, um, you know, to the marketplace or through private insurance and you're paying for health insurance premiums yourself, you get to deduct those. Um, which, you know, some of us are paying a thousand dollars a month for health insurance. So it can add up to be quite a big deduction. Um, if you are one of those lucky people that are paying that much, I'm, I mean, a thousand dollars per month, that could result in like a two to $3,000 deduction. So definitely something to track and make sure that you either give your accountant at tax time or plug into your tax software um, to make sure that you get that deduction. I am still cracking up over the mile IQ Tinder reference because <laughs> I'm just, I'm dying laughing. That's hilarious. Cause it really does feel like that. It's like swipe right, swipe left. 
Um, but I, I do really love that you mentioned like the phone and the internet and a lot of those bills that we're paying every month that so many business owners don't think about. Um, I know Mm -hmm. there's so many deductions and some of them are obvious. Like if you have a home office, then you can deduct a home office. It's pretty simple. If you buy office supplies, those are a deduction, but a lot of us don't think of some of those bills. And so I'm really glad you mentioned that. And then I'm really glad that you touched on health insurance because I know that's one of those areas that people really wonder about and they're not a hundred percent sure what they're supposed to do or how they're supposed to do it. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that too, because I think, you know, those are only really four deductions, but those are big parts of, you know, what you can take as deductions. And I think those are kind of the four biggest areas where people are really getting confused. Yeah. I mean, depending on your business and you know, how much of those deductions you have, they can literally save you thousands of dollars in taxes. So, um, just take the time. That's a lot of people get in a hurry and they're like, Oh, I'm going to skip that. It's not a big deal, but you know, take some time, get some processes in place and make sure that you take advantage of all those deductions that are available. Right. So I know you mentioned that with the one um, car option, you do have to keep track of all of those receipts. And so that kind of prompted me to ask, what do you actually need to keep track of for your taxes? Do you actually need to keep track of every single receipt or is there sort of a way to minimize, you know, what you're actually having to write down or store away? And, you know, what do you actually need to either file your taxes or hand off to your CPA when tax time rolls around? Um, so when it comes to actually preparing taxes, I don't request receipts from any of my clients. Um, my thought process and my recommendation to them is keep them all in a way that you can access them. If you are one of those lucky, you know, 1% of people that gets selected for an audit. And then at that point, spend the time to, you know, organize them and have them available to send to the IRS or your state if they request it. But you do need to keep every single one. Um, a bank statement's not going to be enough proof because it doesn't show what you actually bought. It just shows where you shopped at. So, you know, if you see Target on there, you could have bought, you know, a bunch of stuff for your home instead of being able to show them that you actually bought office supplies where, while you were there. So keep all your receipts. Um, the paper ones, you can take a picture on your phone and, you know, I... I have the Dropbox app on my phone and I don't know when they added this feature, but I just found it recently. They have like a, they have a scanning option. So it basically takes a picture, turns it into black and white and makes it really easy to read. And then you can save it directly to a receipts folder. There's a bunch of other apps out there. I think QuickBooks self-employed has something similar. So you can take a picture, attach it to the expense, um, and then you're done with it and then you can toss it. But if you go that route, I would back your receipts up somewhere. So if you have them saved in the cloud, maybe save another copy of them somewhere else on your computer, um, but have them backed up. Cause if something crashes or something gets hacked and you lose all of that, the IRS isn't going to be very sympathetic um, that you can't provide documentation if they request it. Um, Along those lines, when you get emailed receipts, what I do is I put them into um, 
I archive them in my Gmail into a folder. That's where I put all of my receipts. Um, it's wise to like every, every quarter or every year, go through that folder and then print them to PDF and keep them in another place. I have not done that myself. I need to do it. It's one of those things like do as I say and not as I do. Um, it's a good thing to do if you can think of it or have an assistant do it for you um, just to have that stuff backed up. Uh, and then as far as organizing all of that, I, I just put them in like monthly folders. So for the paper ones, I have a folder in my office. Um, it has the month on it and I slide it in there. And then when I'm done with the month, I can scan them into my Dropbox folder and toss them. Same thing with if you wanted to do that same thing with your archived emails, but they're already organized by date. So you don't really need to do like subfolders. So that, that kind of takes care of your receipts. I would also recommend saving all of your bank statements to a folder in Dropbox or whatever you store your documents in just to have them to prove to the IRS, you know, if they want to see that information, having that available and easy to access is really helpful. Plus you probably need it for your bookkeeping. So keep all of that in one place. And then we talked about the miles. If you use an app like MileIQ or, or the one with QuickBooks, um, they do, they will track like your starting point, your ending point, how many miles, but you actually have to go in and add in like the client that you visited or what the purpose was of your trip. And that's the key thing that you want to track for the IRS purposes. So they're going to want to know like, you know, did you just drive to the grocery store for personal groceries or were you going there to get some supplies for your studio? So making a note to remind yourself and to be able to explain to the IRS is really helpful. Um, whether you do it in the app or you do it in a spreadsheet, just make sure that you track that information. And then the other thing I would recommend tracking is if you give gifts in your business, there's a $50 per person per year limit on what you can deduct for gifts. So I recommend creating a spreadsheet, putting the names of all of the clients that you're giving gifts to in there, and then totaling up the dollar value of the gifts that you are giving them for the year. That way, if you do spend $75 on a client, which you totally can, you know when it, or you or your accountant knows at tax time that you're only going to deduct $50 of that. So just keep a spreadsheet and just put all the expenses in there and then you can turn that over to your accountant so they can figure out what the deduction would be. I love that you gave a few different like options to make it easy and simplified. Cause I feel like so often when people think about taxes, they get just a headache and they get really worried about it because they picture, you know, a thousand and one receipts mm -hmm. with items just circled on them, literally just thrown into like a little box and having to go through that. And so I'm glad that you gave a few different recommendations of how to really simplify that process and make it nice and organized so that when tax time does roll around, you're not sifting through a box of a thousand receipts trying to figure out what's what. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a big part of that is just making sure everything runs through business accounts only. So, you know, you have a business checking and a business credit card dedicated only to business expenses. Um, I had, I worked with a blogger a few years ago. I finished her taxes. She was ready to go. And then she sent me an email and she was like, this seems really high. Um, so I looked back through my bank statements cause she had everything mixed and she found a $12,000 expense. It was just one line item that she missed from going through her bank statements, but that $12,000, you know, changed her taxes like three to $4,000 less. So a big key there is just separating everything and being meticulous about it. Definitely. And I think we always hear that, that we need to have everything separate, but it's nice to have a reason behind it. Mm -hmm. So I'm definitely glad that you mentioned that. Um, so really quick, this may have been something that you we've already covered or you've already touched on, but I'm just curious to see what your answer is. What's the biggest mistake or maybe even just the biggest assumption that you see people making about their business taxes that you want to, you know, bust that myth wide open. You want to correct them. You're, you're constantly seeing it happen. And it's like the thing that drives you crazy. Is there (laughs) something in particular you can think of? Um, so there's two things actually that I see a lot and it affects your taxes. So if you're doing your own bookkeeping, making sure that if you're a sole proprietor or a single member LLC being taxed as a sole proprietor, that you are not expensing payments made to yourself. So like when you take money out of the business, that's not an expense. And also when you pay income taxes, those are not an expense. I see those just put into the taxes and licenses category often. And the problem when you include those as expenses is it's going to drastically change your profit. So if you're trying to estimate how much tax that you owe, you know, and you're counting the payments made to yourself as expenses and the payments for taxes, your profit is, you know, the money left after expenses is going to be minimal. Um, and you're going to be like, Oh, I hardly owe anything. Um, whereas if you do it correctly and keep those out of there, then you're going to have a true profit closer to what is you're actually going to be taxed on. That definitely makes sense. Yeah. I was just very curious to see what you said, because I know we touched on a lot, but I always feel like, you know, when you're a professional and you know what you're talking about, there's always those things that you hear people say where you're just rolling your eyes and you're like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think some of it, some of it seems like common sense if you don't have the accounting background, because in your mind you think, oh, like the business is the reason why I have to pay this tax. So of course that would be a business expense. So some of it seems like common sense and it just doesn't necessarily follow that pattern. For sure. Well, I have one more question for you that I kind of just thought of, and I probably should have asked it at the beginning, but um, (laughs) that's okay. I would love for you to tell everybody exactly what a CPA is and what it is that you do for your clients. Because I feel like I've heard a lot of people say that they haven't necessarily hired someone because they're not a hundred percent sure what that person will do for them. So I would love if you could just kind of touch on that and clarify just so if somebody has been kind of on the fence thinking of hiring a CPA or doing their taxes for themselves, maybe this will be the thing that kind of helps them make that decision. Um, Yeah. So a CPA, just going to the basics, a certified public accountant. So we have to take, right now it's a four-part test 
that you take each part separately and you have to pass all four parts within a certain time period. And then you also have to have to, at least two years of experience working under other CPAs. So that's how you become a CPA. You know, CPAs can do a lot of different things. They can specialize in a lot of different areas. Most of them end up doing taxes and, and you know, that sort of thing, but not everybody. So um, the ones that do specialize in taxes, like myself, we do tax preparation. So we're filling out the forms for you. We're asking you the questions that need to be asked to make sure that we are reporting all of the income that you actually received. But on the flip side, making sure that you get all the deductions available so that you're not paying any more tax than you need to. And then my firm, not all firms, um, we do bookkeeping for our clients. So we have a bookkeeper. Some of the bookkeepers on our team are CPAs. Um, the people that review the books are, are definitely CPAs. So we want to make sure that we are putting in accurate information into our clients' tax returns because, you know, if we're receiving what some might consider like garbage in, garbage out, you know, if we're receiving books that are not accurate, then it's hard to make your taxes accurate. So we have really shifted into doing a lot of, a lot more bookkeeping alongside the tax preparation. And then we also do, we do quarterly tax calculations. Do we, we do, we go into more in depth than just the typical, you know, save 30% for taxes. We apply a lot of the additional things, like if you have children or other businesses or special deductions, um, we take all of that into account so that you're not paying more than you have to or you know that you're paying enough. And then at tax time, we do some retirement contribution calculations. So, you know, if you wanted to contribute to a SEP IRA, we let you know, you know, if you contribute $1,000, here's what it does to your taxes. If you contribute $10,000, here's what your taxes will look like. So we do a little bit of tax planning at that point as well. Awesome. Thank you for clarifying that. Cause like mm -hmm. I said, I just, I feel like there's probably somebody listening who that answered all of their questions and now <laughs> they want to go hire a CPA. So nice. All right. Well, I am super, I'm going to stop here. Cause like I said, I could keep you here all day long if I, <laughs> if I really asked all my questions, but I think that was so much information and it was so much good information and really is going to answer a lot of questions for our listeners. So I'm really excited um, about all of your advice and, and just everything that we talked about. But before we close out the episode, I do want to do a fun little lightning round with you that I do with all my guests. And it's just a fun way to close out the show. So are awesome. you ready? Yeah. Let's do it. We'll just breeze through it really quick. First question, what is your morning routine? Um, so I have recently started to wake up about an hour before everybody else in my house. And the first thing I do is I make coffee. And then I try to get some things done that just make me like feel like I'm starting the day off on a good foot. So I'll go, um, fold laundry or, you know, clean off the dishes, just get some of that housework done. So it's not like on my mind all day. Um, and then I don't have to think about it after I'm done working for the day. So those are the two, two main things that I love to do in the morning. Your morning sounds so productive and I'm so jealous. <laughs> it's not always, <laughs> but recently it has been, and it's been nice. Yeah. I'm not a morning person, so I can't, I can't share that with you, but <laughs> it sounds wonderful. <laughs> All 
All right. What is the last book that you read? Um, the last one I read, it was called the great alone. I read a lot of business books, but I also like to take a break and like let my brain kind of listen to or read some fiction books. And that one was so good. It was, it was a lot like the, another one that I read that I can't think of, but it was a good one. A tearjerker for sure. <laughs> I love that. I'll have to look that up. What is one thing that you recommend to everyone? So this can be a service, it can be an item or a product, whatever you want, but just something that you feel like everybody has to have. I think taking a minute to think about what you'll do on a regular basis when it comes to tracking your numbers. So if you are a spreadsheet person and you know that you can make yourself complete your spreadsheet every week or every month, then do a spreadsheet and don't feel any guilt about it. If you love to use something like QuickBooks Online and you, you know, keep it open in your tabs and update it every day, whatever you know that you'll do, go that route. There's not a perfect way to do it. You just need to have something in place, even if it means hiring it out and you know that there's no way you're going to ever make yourself do it. That's your cue to think about hiring somebody to take that off your plate. I love that. Know yourself, know your limits. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Last question. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever been given? Um, that's a tough one. Um, my dad would always tell me that he, his ultimate goal would be for him to not have to work for his money, but for his money to work for him. So that was like an, always this like weird old weird thing that he would always say. And I never got it until I started owning my business and thinking about putting money into retirement because, you know, when we're 80 years old, we are not going to be hustling like we are now. We want that money to have grown over time and be able to work for us. And instead of constantly having to work for that money. So that's all kind of like you know, making a lot more sense now that I'm an adult and I'm hearing that advice. Um, it didn't make a lot of sense when I was like 10 and he was telling me, you know, we're going to contribute your, your, uh, allowance to the stock market. I was like, that sounds dumb, but okay. Um, so it's all making a lot more sense now. I love that. We already said this, but your dad is so smart. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. Well, Amy, seriously, thank you so much. And really quick, just tell everybody where they can find you. What's your website, social media? I know you mentioned Instagram, so just give them all the places to follow along. Sure. Um, my website is just my name, amynorthartcpa.com. And then um, same thing with, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, all of those are, um, you know, with the slash and then Amy Northard CPA. And then I do have um, a course, you can get to it from my website, but it's also at beyourowncfo.com. Awesome. And we will definitely link that in the show notes. So to all our listeners, go check that out because Amy gave us tons of information in this episode, <laughs> so I can only imagine what her course looks like. It's probably amazing. Thank you. But Amy, thank you so much, seriously, for just sharing a little bit of your time and your wisdom. Like I said, I know this is a topic that gets a little bit tricky for a lot of business owners, so I love how easy you made it all seem and how much you clarified and that you were just so open to 
coming on and sharing answers and, and just sharing your wisdom. So I really appreciate it and just want to say thank you. Well, thanks for having me. Well, ladies, that's it for this time. But don't forget to head over to the show notes to grab special bonus content from our guests. I'd love if you could show your support for the show. So if you have just a minute, leave a five-star review about how much you love this podcast. Then head over to femalesonfirepodcast.com and grab your Females on Fire apparel. Get a t-shirt, hat, and more because it all goes to fund the podcast. And don't forget to show off your new swag to all your friends on social media and tag me at Females on Fire and at Haley Luckadoo. I'll be back next week with another great show for you. But until then, keep reaching for those dreams that set your soul on fire.